0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Ten years ago, back in 2012, the writer Tim Crider published a widely shared op-ed in the New York Times called The Busy Trap, which with humor and a lot of candor called Everybody out on our collective need for non-stop action as a way of justifying ourselves. This was when the only acceptable answer to the question, how are you doing, was busy. Or better yet, crazy busy. And then response to that was, well, that's a good problem to have. This is what everybody said. And he said that that answer, busy, crazy busy, uh, was a boast disguised as a complaint which served as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. And the article, it took off like wildfire, deeply resonated with the American public. But now, ten years later, Two years into a pandemic, the Times asked Tim Crider to reflect on what's changed. And this is what he said. A decade later, people aren't trying to sell busyness as a virtue anymore, not even to themselves. Of course, everyone is still busy, worse than busy, exhausted, too wiped at the end of the day to do more than stress eat, binge watch and doom scroll on your phone, but no one's calling it anything other than what it is anymore, an endless frantic hamster wheel for survival. Welcome to Christ Church, right? What a great message to start off your Sunday morning. Uh, I'm not going to leave us there, thankfully. Enter this passage from Luke, this famous encounter. Jesus has with two sisters, Martha and Mary. And let's just revisit it. Let's set the scene. Jesus goes into a village where he meets Martha first. She's on the lookout. Martha is clearly someone who has her ducks in a row. It states that it was Martha who was the one to welcome Jesus into her home. She's the hostess with the mostess. She is there at the train station on time to pick Jesus up. She takes his bags, hands him an iced latte, asks him how his trip was. They get back to her house. They walk inside. She says, you must be exhausted. I'm prepping some gazpacho and some mint tea in the kitchen. Put your feet up. I'll be with you just as soon as I'm able. So, so far, everything's going swimmingly, right? Martha is hosting this distinguished guest. He's probably very impressed with the feng shui and decor of her living room. Just wait until he tries the mint tea. And as Jesus begins to unwind, in walks Mary. She heard his voice when he came in. She then left her breakfast dishes in the sink to soak, which we all know is code for getting someone else to clean them. And it says she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. Now, to sit at someone's feet back then was to establish yourself as that person's disciple. Who knows what they were talking about but chances are it was not small talk. Mary is soaking up every word Jesus is saying. Martha calls from the kitchen for a little help. Mary says, I'll be right there without ever breaking her gaze on Jesus. And eventually Martha has had enough of her sister fawning over her guest, and she loses it right in front of everybody. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her then to help me. Notice that the family here uh, is just like your family and mine. There's plenty of passive-aggressive triangulation going on. Martha's talking to Jesus about her deadbeat, self-centered sister while Mary is right there. You don't have to be Sigmund Freud to pick up the hints of competition and jealousy in this relationship. So how does Jesus respond? Well, he's not the most polite house guest. He seems altogether unimpressed with Martha's hospitality. But I imagine it's with a tender smile that he looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. Theologian Robert Capon adds a little color to this when paraphrasing Jesus. He says, Martha, you get worried and worked up about so many things, it's a wonder you don't kill yourself with all the effort it's taking you to hold your life together. Let it go. As long as the most important thing in your life is to keep finding your way. You're going to live in mortal terror of losing it. Once you're willing to be lost, though, you'll be home free. See, Jesus is making a direct attack on life as we know it, as something we think belongs to us, Something that we orchestrate as the captains of our fate and the masters of our destiny. Something where other people are simply pieces to a puzzle that we ourselves are putting together. Something we need to protect, to balance, to hold together. But as we heard in the reading from Colossians, he himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is the purpose of the Sabbath, the law instituted by God that was designed to help us rest. Oftentimes, when you stop moving, you realize that the world, in fact, keeps turning. And then you realize that you are not turning the world. And then you realize that you are not God. And then you realize, maybe, that that's a good thing. Well, Martha says, don't just sit there, do something. Jesus responds, Martha, don't just do something. Sit there. Those dishes might not clean themselves, but don't worry, they're not going anywhere. The great writer and pastor Eugene Peterson once spoke on how everybody, everybody, falls prey to the busy trap even ministers. He talks about his father, who was a butcher. And he says this, he says, when my father delivered meat to restaurants, he would sit at the counter, have a cup of coffee and a piece of pie, and waste time. But that time was critical for building relationships. Sometimes I'm with pastors, he says, who don't wander around. They don't waste time. Their time is too valuable. To be unbusy, you have to be disengaged from egos, both yours and others, and start dealing with souls. Souls cannot be hurried. You can remind me of this passage if you're ever talking to me and I seem a little too preoccupied. But Jesus understood this better than anybody. The British writer Francis Spufford, he once described Jesus in this way. He said, anyone can claim his time. And when someone does, whatever their reason is, he speaks to them as if nothing else were going on in the wide world, but he and they talking. All his conversations seem to be personal. He appears to be fully focused on the particular indi- individual in front of him they matter they matter in themselves they are not a means to an end each person in front of jesus is for that moment the one missing sheep at this particular moment it's mary at any other particular moment it's you So what does this mean for you and your actual life? As Tim Crider said, most people feel like they have no choice in the matter of being busy or not. It's just the way life is. Life is full of things you'd rather not do. Run errands, fold clothes, put IKEA furniture together, fill in the blank. But the conventional, and I think misguided, moral of the story that we often take away here is is plain and simple. Stop being so busy. Quit being so distracted. Get off your phone. I I could tell you to do these things, I could tell them to myself, but your phone and my phone is already reminding us that we need to cut back on our screen time. It's not really working. You see the purpose of this passage is not simply to tell you to stop being busy or to be more present with your kids or your spouse or your client or to be more mindful. Meditation is a booming industry right now for good reason. It's a good thing. It helps us because we're burned out. We are longing for an escape from the noise, silence, and stillness Are often the gateways to self awareness, humility, and healing. But this passage goes a step further. The solution here, the answer, is not just some abstract form of inner peace, it's the peace of Christ, the rest. We're talking about the peace that passes understanding that you and I both long for. That rest is connected directly to a relationship. Mary might come off here as the hero of the story or the good example, but it's not because she's more pious or more spiritual. She's not sitting in a field by herself in tune with everything. Rather, she's sitting at the feet of someone who has something to say to her. This is what Martin Luther was getting at when he said that to be a human being is to be one to whom God speaks. That's what it means to be a person, to be one to whom God speaks a direct word. And now that we finally. Taking a brief moment to listen. What do we hear him say? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus, you see, does not point you to the door of enlightenment. He is the light. He is the door. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is not a life hack. He's not going to show you the better way to fold a shirt properly or how to really clean your microwave. He's not a life hack. He is the way and the truth and the life. He's not here to save you time and money. He's here to save you. And he already has. The beauty and simplicity of this gospel in a world that is moving at warp speed is what is most needful and the hardest to believe. Everything we can put on our resumes is in the hope of uh, some finish line to this race of achievement or significance. And all of us have been running that race our whole lives, but it's not a race, as Tim Crider said, it's a hamster wheel. And people are killing themselves on it. And into that vicious cycle, comes a word that is so different that we're afraid to believe it's true because then it would destroy the whole race that we've been running. All the while, there's a figure on the cross that says, it is finished. What I have done, am doing, and will do for you is enough. It is enough. You can let go. You can come sit. I'm in no rush. And I'm happy to tell you over and over again that the race is over. The race is won. So to your own inner Martha, the one who insists that she lives to serve, Jesus has this to say. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what does he serve? What's on the menu? He himself is the main course. His word is food that never spoils. His body is the bread of life. His blood, the cup of salvation. In a world that is passing away, at warp speed, it is the only thing that will never be taken from you. Amen.